0: Good morning. Hey, it is good to see you all. Um, My name is Kondo. For those of you, I have never gotten the privilege of meeting. I get to serve as a pastor here at Mission Point. And hey, a special welcome to you if you're a guest with us. Maybe this is your first time or maybe you've been here a few times, but hey, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We want you to know we've been praying for you. We've been preparing for you long before we knew who you were. And our hope is that even as you spend some time with us, you will be impressed with the person of Jesus Christ. We exist as a church family to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. We believe life is ultimately found in its fullest form in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's something we want to do more than just experience for ourselves. That's something we want to export and share with as many people as possible, starting with the 50,000 people in our own county that we know do not have a direct connection with him. And so even while you're here, if you're a guest or this is home and you're family, we trust that you will experience something of who Jesus is, that we would fall in love with Him just a little bit more. We are wrapping up a, a series that we've been in for the last four weeks, a series that we Um, are calling A Summer Walk. And it is crazy. Please don't shoot the messenger to think that this is the last Sunday before school starts. So it seems like a fitting time to wrap up a series that we're calling um, A Summer Walk. But in this series, we've been asking the question, what does it look like for us to learn to walk by the Spirit Uh, We were in a series right before this one in which we're reveling in the freedom we have in the person of Jesus Christ on account of his work on the cross and his work in rising from the grave. That Jesus Christ has unshackled us from everything that could possibly, you know, obstruct us or restrict us from living fully in everything God has called us to live in. And as we reveled in this freedom and as we dreamed about the possibilities of living fully and freely in Him, we ran into this reality that if we're going to do that, we're going to need to learn to walk by the Spirit because it's only by the Spirit that we get to fully enjoy the freedom that's ours in the person of Jesus. It's not by our striving. It's not by trying harder. It's not by being smarter. It's not by going to church more. It's about learning to walk by the Spirit, which raised the question, what does it look like for us to learn to walk by the Spirit? And what we've discovered in this series is, contrary to what we might normally think, walking by the Spirit isn't about these massive monumental occasions as much as it is about these daily disciplines, these simple steps, the things we do every day. Because you know as well as I do that it's small steps that lead to walking. And uh, we've talked about simple things. Week one, we talked about the Word of God. And we said there is no way that we can learn to walk by the Spirit if we're not people who are intentionally engaging the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. It's the place where the Spirit loves to bring Jesus to life. It's a place where He loves to point us to the person of Jesus Christ. And it's as we find ourselves moving towards Jesus that we see ourselves moving moving away from the things that shackle us, the chains and our sin. And we talked about prayer these last two weeks, um, that there's no way for us to walk by the Spirit if we're not people who are intentionally praying and spending time in the presence of God. And after all, only the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God and loves to make those known to us as we spend time with Him in prayer. And we want to be a people marked by prayer on a regular basis, not just in these moments of crisis. And uh, this, this morning, we want to wrap the series up by talking about the largely forgotten art of fasting. Um, fasting. And um, here's a, a definition of the term up here on the screen. It's the idea of deliberately depriving yourself of something you long for, for the purpose of prayer, fasting. Deliberately depriving yourself of something you long for, for the purpose of prayer. It's choosing to say no to something that I desire, choosing to say no to something I enjoy so that I can pray. And I think it's worth noting, by the way, that, that biblical fasting is unique in that it is about prayer because fasting is kind of trending, actually, in our um, cultural context. People fast for a variety of reasons, from a variety of things. People may go on those gross juice fasts, where it's like, you know, we're trying to purge ourselves from all grossness, you know, in our body. And then you live in the same house with people like this, and it's just really unpleasant. But they're juice fast and, and people will go and you know like a gluten fast or a carb fast or whatever the case might be. And that is going to be for health reasons, so you can look swole or buff or whatever the case might be. But that's different when we're speaking about biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is a physical thing with a spiritual goal, a spiritual goal goal. And that goal is prayer. It's a desire to encounter more of God. It's a desire to see God move. It's a desire to see the spirit of the living God show up. In fact, fasting is this thing in which we go to God and say, we long for you to move. We long for you to show up uh, so much, so much that we are willing to lay aside a physical thing that we long for, to say it to you. We long for you to show up more than we long for this physical thing that we really enjoy. And for that reason, we're going to set it aside for a season. Now, a couple of quick things about fasting. Most of the time when uh, fasting is spoken of um, biblically, it's related to people abstaining from food, people who are skipping meals so that they can pray. But fasting is not limited to food. In fact, uh, there's a situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in which a married couple is said to be fasting from certain marital uh, uh, delights, if you will, for the purpose of prayer. Because fasting is not necessarily tied to food. It's really about laying aside something I physically long for or physically enjoy for the purpose of a spiritual experience, a spiritual reality, a spiritual encounter with God in in prayer. Biblically, uh, fasting is typically a 12-hour period. Uh, it typically was something that the folks of the Scriptures would do for a day, from morning to to evening. Now, of course, there were situations where uh, people like Jesus went 40 days uh, of fasting. Uh, it's rumored that Moses at one point uh, actually went on an 80-day fast, which he had to have been miraculously carried by the Holy Spirit in that. Please hear me say loud and clear, do not try that um, at home, or the next meal you be eating will be the supper of the lamb, because um, you be you be gone. But fasting was not ultimately um, about food, and it wasn't ultimately about the specific season, how long you did it. it. It was really more about laying aside something I physically enjoy, something I physically long for, for a decided period of time, so I could engage in a spiritual uh, practice of prayer to see God move to see the Spirit show up in some way. And I want to suggest that you try it. Um, I mean, if you have any desire to experience the spiritual reality called walking by the Spirit, I want to suggest that you try it. There seems to be a power in the practice of fasting, fasting. Um, I think about the words of Jesus, which we'll put up here on the screen, Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. He says, but when you fast, which is interesting that Jesus assumed almost that people were were fasting. When you fast, put oil on your head or gel or or mousse. I don't know what you, you folks do, but whatever, and wash your face, which is really nice. Um, by the way, the reason Jesus is talking about this is because people were fasting and they wanted everybody to know. And so they would have like dust on their head and they'll be unkempt so that people would ask them, whoa, what are you doing? I'm fasting, you know. And Jesus said, don't do that. Don't fast like that. But he says, um, verse 18, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And he says... Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There seems to be something about fasting that invites a spiritual response, that invites a reward of some sort from God. Uh, The early church bought into this, and it was part of their their practice. Um, An example is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. And here it says that while they were worshiping the Lord... And fasting, guess who showed up? The Holy Spirit showed up and said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Something about fasting seemed to have cleared the runway for the Spirit of God to show up and speak into those spaces. Jesus seems to be saying, and and when you fast, listen, don't put on a show for everybody. Believe me when I tell you, your fasting is putting on a show for heaven and God will reward you in some way and I'm just saying if we have a desire to fall into this spiritual thing particularly the spirit himself and walk with him and learn what it means to keep in step with him I suggest trying the discipline of fasting I believe there's power in fasting and I believe there's power in fasting uniquely in our cultural context I think there's something powerful about this practice for us, where we live and when we live. And I want to just take some time to show you why um, I say that. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, we're going to be looking at a story in Genesis chapter 25. First book of the Bible, the 25th chapter. Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. 25. Um, If you don't own a copy of the Bible, physical copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one as our gift to you. Last week, I had the privilege for the very first time of personally handing someone a Bible who came to the Connection Corner and asked for one, and I've been on a high since. And so, if you need one, we would love, this is the Word of God. We believe God will meet you here by His Spirit. We believe that this book will change your life. We believe this book will point you to the ultimate person who is Jesus Christ himself. We believe this is more than just a book. These are the words of God. And so you can imagine we want to find any excuse to give his word to you. So please stop by the connection corner after the service and somebody will give you a free copy of this book. But Genesis chapter 25, uh, this is again a fascinating slash tragic story um, about an encounter between two brothers, twin brothers. Um, As the story goes, um, Jacob, who was the younger of the twins, uh, was a mama's boy. Loved home economics Um, very domestic, very creative, you know, enjoyed, you know, his food network and his H-E-T-V dreams. Very artsy, very crafty, very homebody. That was Jacob, the younger of the twins. And on the other spectrum is Esau. Um, he's Daddy's boy, very rugged, outdoor network, you know, UFC, bear grills, you know, burping, hunting, beard and flannel. Uh, that is Esau, the older. Of the brothers, needless to say, uh, they didn't get along. A bit of rivalry between them. A your mama's boy, um, you know. Oh, your daddy's boy, you know. Oh, you love to stay home, or you love to go and kill innocent animals. And they had this thing between them, pretty much from the moment they were born. Anyway, this encounter. Um, happens one day when they're doing what they do. Um, Esau has gone out to go and wound and kill animals, you know, out there, and Jacob has stayed home and he is cooking. Um, Jacob apparently has a much more successful day than Esau has. He has whooped up like like world class soup, one of his best apparently. Um, Esau not so successful. Esau comes back. The only thing he has managed to wound is his ego, and you get the sense that he shows up and he is super tired super frustrated, and just extremely hungry. And the first thing that greets him when he gets home is the smell of the most delectable soup ever. And we join the story in verse 30. And here's what it says. He, Esau, said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished which is also why he's called Edom, which is red. He not only had red hair, but he asked for red soup, you know, and on and on it goes. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. That is a great move. And again, I read this story, and I cannot help but wonder if Jacob wasn't planning and premeditating this. This sounds a little bit too premeditated for such a quick response. He knew his brother was prone to come home hungry, and he laid the perfect trap. I'll make you a deal. My soup for your birthright. That's a shady, shady request, by the way. Can I borrow your jacket? Sure. If you promise me, your first house will be mine. That's just a steep deal. Do you even have a conscience? Um, the birthright was pretty significant. The birthright um, went to the firstborn son, and it included a chunk of the family inheritance. Esau stood um, to inherit two-thirds of his father's stuff after his father died. Jacob stood to inherit one-third. And Jacob is saying, give me the two-thirds and uh, I'll give you, you know, the one-third and some soup. Um, the birthright was also about family authority. Esau is in a position where, after his father was gone, he would carry the family's authority. He would be able to speak for the family, he would be able to, to make decisions for the family. The authority of the family was on him. And most importantly, was the family line, the family name. As the firstborn, Esau would be the person through whom the family line would continue. He would be the person who carried down the family name to the next generations. Anytime a genealogy showed up, it would be Esau's name in it. And Jacob is saying, I want all of that for the price of some lentil soup. He says, yeah, listen, two-thirds, I want that. Family authority, give me that. I want to be able to tell your kids what to do forever. And I want the family name. But Esau's birthright uh, was much more significant than that. And some of you will know uh, about the history of this family. Because a couple of generations before that, God showed up and talked to Esau's grandfather, a man by the name of Abraham. And he said to Abraham, listen, I promise you, I swear an oath to you that yours, Abraham, is not just going to be a family. Yours is going to be a great nation as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the beaches. Yours is going to be a great nation. There is a great nation in your blood. But more than that, God said, and through your nation, by the way, I'm going to bring forward a seed. I'm going to bring forward a Messiah. I'm going to bring forward a rescuer. I'm going to bring forward a rescuer. And as many of us know, That was the promise about Jesus, the son of the living God. God said, through your people, Jesus is going to come into this world. Esau's birthright wasn't just a physical thing. His was a spiritual birthright. This kid literally had the blood of God coursing through his veins. Just saying that is a steep price to pay for some soup. And only a fool would take that deal. Again, I'd expect Esau would slap Jacob with his home cooking magazine, you know, and then just walk off. Like, don't be ridiculous. But alas, verse 32. Look, he said, I'm about to die. I feel like I'm going to die. This is exactly what my kids do. 45 minutes after lunch. I'm starving to death. And I think they actually believe it. And he says, what good is this birthright to me if I'm dead? I'm like, Esau, are you kidding me? He's like, who cares about this spiritual birthright? I am physically starving. I'm about to die anyway. Jacob is like, this guy cannot be serious. Let's make sure. And so he says in verse 33, um, swear to me first. Like this might actually be working. So without thinking, without pausing, without praying about it, Esau swore an oath to his younger brother Jacob selling his birthright to him. Verse 34. Then Jacob, (laughs) I love this. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread. Some bread. You know when you make a deal with somebody... And you think like, oh, we got a great deal. And they're like, that's awesome. Thank you for doing your business with us. We're also going to throw in a free car. You know they suckered you, right? This is what's happening here. It's like, you know what? I'm going to give you some free bread um, on top of the soup. I love this verse. It's almost like Jacob is feeling a little bit bad. Anyway, Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He, Esau, ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. That's why, by the way, you never hear Abraham, Isaac, and Esau because of this moment right here. That's why Esau's name is not in the genealogy of Jesus. It's Jacob's name. And now, that's why there's a great nation out there, and it's not referred to as Esau. There's a great nation through which Jesus wasn't just born, but to which Jesus will return when he comes back. And this nation is not known as Esau, it's known as Israel. Any guesses who Israel is? Jacob. God changed his name because of this whole situation right here. Because in a moment of this intense physical longing for food, Esau traded his spiritual birthright for some soupy satisfaction. And those of us, generations removed, we sit here and we read this story and and we, we say to ourselves, what a dummy. To which heaven replies not so fast. Dummies, you do the same thing all the time. Don't we? And don't we often trade our spiritual birthrights for some soupy satisfaction if we're honest for a physical longing? Because last time I checked, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Not two-thirds, not one-third. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Your inheritance is everything that belongs to Jesus. That's that's the last I checked in the book of Ephesians and chapter 1. And when you step into this world, you carry and you get to speak for your father. You get to speak with the authority of the family name. And speaking of that name, it isn't amazing that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you actually get to play a part in carrying it down, your name is in the genealogy of the family of God. Because Alice Simfukwe shared the gospel with Condor Simfukwe and then Condor shared the gospel with somebody in somebody else's family and they shared the gospel with somebody else and his family family line became a great nation, and we get to be a part of that whole process. And oh, by the way, the blood of the Son of God is coursing through your veins. You are the child of the Father who created this world. You are a brother, as it were, or a sister, as it were, to Jesus Christ himself. And then, we feel lonely. We feel hungry, famished for acceptance or connection. And then we smell the aroma of a quick hookup or a meaningless dating relationship or a flirtatious texting conversation. And we say, What? good is God's acceptance to me right now. I'm starving for some acceptance. I'm starving for the feeling of connection. And we gladly despise our spiritual realities, and we set them aside in favor of some physical thing that w- will satisfy us really quickly and right now. I mean, if we're honest, we feel a little insecure, hungry for affirmation. Because somebody at work made some comment. And, and what good is, is my Bible full of his promises right now if, if, if I can post something on social media and get some affirmation and get some feedback? That's the quick fix. And I'm going to lay aside spiritual realities for a quick physical sense of his affirmation, heard affirmation. We feel stressed. We've had a long day. (laughs) What good is the promised presence of God when I have a Netflix binge waiting for me right now? When I have a glass of wine that I could have right now and it could give me a sense of satisfaction? Be honest. And you know what's interesting? You read the story and at the end of this After Esau eats, he despises his birthright. And there's this sense where Esau just eventually regrets like that was not a great decision. He eventually hated his brother, tried, went for him when it was all said. And done. But that's us. I, I feel angry. And what good is God's vengeance? What, what good is God's justice? When I can lash out and let somebody have it right now, I can experience this sense of relief. We Esau all the time. We feel our hunger and we feel our longing and we run to the physical and we run to the familiar in favor of the spiritual and in favor of the eternal. It's what Paul means when he says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 that their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their God is their stomach. That's the idea of being driven by and being driven to our physical appetites until that's where we worship. That's what matters most. What good is God when I can get a physical fix right away? Now, here's what's interesting. I've got to say this um, really clearly. There, There is nothing wrong with soup. If you read this story, lentil soup is not a sin. There's nothing wrong with soup until I long for it more than his promises. Until it matters more than his promises. There's nothing wrong with physical longings. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the physical things until I run to them more than I do to his presence. Nothing wrong with Netflix depending on what you're watching. Except when that becomes the thing I run to first, and I gladly trade his promises for that. Before I even think about who he is and what he says, that becomes my instinctive go-to. And I start to say, what good is God or his presence or his promises or his spirit if I can just veg out and detach from the world. That's one of the reasons, church, I believe that the practice of fasting is uniquely powerful in our day and time. A day and time in which we have more physical pleasure and more accessible distractions than we've had in any time before. This. It's one of the most profound anti-Esau moves, this idea of fasting. It's powerful because fasting says, unlike Esau, God, I want you to know that I am laying aside my desire for soup in exchange for my desire for you. I am saying, what good is a physical fix if I can have the spiritual reality of your presence and your promises? It is the anti-Esau move expressed in fasting. I lay down this bowl because I am famished for you. I'm hungry for you. See, some of us, I think, will talk about desiring to walk by the Spirit. And the question is, how much do you desire to walk by the Spirit? enough to put down a bowl of soup. And many of us will say, we say we want to walk by the Spirit, but we love and we are hungry for so many other things. And the power of fasting is the power of saying, God, can we say to you, loud and clear, that we are willing to put aside the physical things we love and we enjoy and we long for and we look forward to, so you know, so heaven is put on notice that we are hungry for you. We want the spiritual reality more than this physical fix. It's the art of saying, who cares if I don't experience this physical thing? I want a spiritual encounter. And I'm asking what might happen in your spirit world if you said no to your strongest appetites in an appeal to God? I'm telling you, I suspect things would shift that maybe haven't shifted yet. Because we are asking God, no, show up in the middle of all of our bowls of soup and, and maybe do something. What would happen if we said and we released them for a season as a way of saying more of you? And so here's a simple and painful question. What physical thing might you need to fast from? To let God know it's you, I want. What's the thing that, that you long for every day? What's the thing which, like Esau, you literally feel like if I don't have this, I'm gonna die or someone in my world's gonna die? I need this. Mama needs this. What is that thing that you really feel like, I can't go, I'm sorry, I can't go without it. I I feel exposed. I feel vulnerable. I feel feelings. What is that? And how much do you think heaven might notice if you deliberately set it aside for a season. Because it's you we want. It's you I want. Not because you need anything from heaven, but just because you want God more than you want anything else. Or, better yet, if I'm honest, because I want to want God more than I hunger for anything else. For some of us, it's, it's food. It's actual food. Food is our go-to. Our days are built around the next time we get to eat. We look forward to eating more than anything else. If we feel like we've done pretty well, then we'll reward ourselves with food. If we're having a hard time, we're hurting, we'll comfort ourselves with food. When it's time to celebrate, food. When it's time to meet a friend, to talk, food. In fact, some of us us would not meet with certain people if it wasn't around food. Hey, you want to get together for lunch? No, but I can get together later. No, I don't like you that much. (laughs) Like if we're not eating, no, that's weird. How are we supposed to talk if we're not eating or doing coffee? It's food. You worked out. You're proud of yourself. Food. Which is the most ironic one of all, if you ask me. For some of us, it it is. It's, It's what we take in. It's wine. I cannot envision a night without that glass of wine. I can't envision, you know, that meal without the beer. You live for it. You can't relax without it. You can't sleep without it. And maybe for some of us, it's something as simple as coffee. We joke about it, right? But you rush to bed so you can wake up in the morning and have your coffee. (laughs) It's 7 p.m. I'm going to sleep. Why? So morning comes quicker. Just say, what might it look like for you to take a day, maybe a day this week, in which you say, you know what, I'm going to lay that thing aside for a 12-hour period. so that I can let the hunger pains drive me to God, where I say, would you make my hunger for you pain? Would you become what I hunger for? We don't long for the Lord, and part of it is because we don't let ourselves long for anything. The minute I feel any ache of hunger, I satisfy what happens if we make room for our ache to drive us to the bread of life? For our ache to drive us to the one in whom is fullness of life? What happens if we just take a window of time to say to him, it's you I want more than anything? I wonder if we don't experience satisfaction in him because we, we consume so often And our ache never does what I believe it's ultimately designed to do. We've tried and failed as parents, even when we sit down for dinners, to to pray, Father, thank you so much for providing food for us. Please help this to be a reminder to us that you are the one who ultimately satisfies. Food is just a physical reminder of something much more significant. For some of us, it's, it's, it's not food, it's noise. Because, you know, we would have no problem leaving food for 12 hours. But you cannot drive in your car for 12 seconds without turning on the music. You can do it. You are like me. We are scared of silence. It freaks us out. I'm going to start hearing hear my own thoughts. I'm going to start to hear my own insecurities, the things I'm afraid of, the things that I've shoved down, the things I don't want to have to face. So no thanks. 93.3. Save me, Kenny Chesney. Said no one ever. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to judge your sinful music choices. I'm just saying. <laughs> I joke kind of. Um... But for some of us, it is noise. We have literally surrounded our world with noise. You cannot remember the last time you were in your room or you were at home and the TV wasn't on at some point in the evening. Like, we are addicted to noise. And I wonder if for some of us, it wouldn't be an invitation to maybe take a day this week where you fast from the radio in your car. And some of you are hyperventilating, thinking about it. I tried this yesterday. It was rough. I didn't realize how impulsively my hand goes to the radio. And the only reason it's off is because my wife called me at some point. And so I turned it down a little bit. And for some of us, I wonder if like, okay, I'm going to pick a day, no TV. I'm going to pick a day this week where I, I, one night, I take my phone and I put it in a drawer. And I do not touch it again until the morning. And every time I start to feel that ache and I start to feel that restlessness because of FOMO, of course, the world is going by and I don't know what's happening, that that would be something that drives me to my father and say, please bring me to a place where I cannot put you away in a drawer for a day without feeling like I'm missing out on you. And I wonder for some of us, it's just to turn off the noise in that way and let it point you to him. I wonder if many of us don't hear from him because we don't have space to listen. Jesus withdrew to quiet places. We wonder why he heard from the Spirit often, because the emptier the vessel, the louder the noise. Get quiet. I hear from the Lord, by the way, most clearly when I'm in the Winona trails or in the shower. <laughs> I've wondered why that is. It's because I am disconnected from noise the most in those places. And most of the time, I'm not asking for him to show up. He just does. Hey, been trying to talk to you. So here's the thing. My wife knows this. And if I seem super stressed, she's like, go into the trails. I'm like, it's two degrees outside. I don't care. Go into the trails. And don't come back till you heard something. Um, for some of us, it's entertainment. It may be we need to take a day or two days where it's like no Netflix or Hulu or DVR episodes of, whatever the case might be, because you know you can't live without. It. You can't fall asleep without it. For some of us, it's, you know, it's video games because listen, I, I, I don't know what, what to do. I, I disconnect by plugging in or whatever the case might be. I wonder if we don't get excited by him. Because we fill up with entertainment and and fascination. This is powerful in our culture. I wonder if for some of us it's relationships. And I wonder if the fast for us is like, I'm going to take a year off of dating. Because I can't remember the last time I went like three weeks without talking to someone. I don't even know who I am if I'm not talking to someone. And Jesus is like, I've wooed you. I've won you. You are caught up in the most beautiful love story. I'm the prince who wants you. I am, no, no, what good are you? Because you can't snuggle. Real? Yes? What it might look like for us to say, I'm going to take a season off of this so that you become my true Love. Fasting is a powerful discipline to detox us from the things we run to and to make space for the Spirit, because I believe it's in the ache that He comes. If we let ourselves ache, it's in the silence that He speaks. It's in the longing that He satisfies. It's in the dependence that He starts to lead us. We want more of Him, but will we make room for Him? I think this is a powerful calling in in our time. I don't know what it might look for you this week to say, I'm going to pick that thing and I'm going to dare to pick a time where I say, Lord, I'm laying this aside because I I, I want more of you or I want to want more of you. Um, I'm going to invite some elders to come and join me on stage here for a few minutes. um, As we continue to think through... um, just these disciplines, the prayer and, and reading. I thought, you know what, as we wrap this up, it'll be great to hear from some of these guys, like what their practices are. Um, and man, to hear some of their own uh, personal experiences. And so, um, man, thank you guys. For this because I know it's easy to talk about this, but it, I think it'll be so helpful to just get a sense of what is this what does this look like? How does this touch down in our world? So I'm going to ask you guys a number of questions. Uh, Stan, I'll start with you. Um, spiritual disciplines. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about reading the Bible. We've now talked about fasting. We know there are a number of others. Um, out there. I'm curious to know what does your pattern look like on a regular basis when you're longing to engage um, the Lord?
1: Well, I I, uh, wake up often early in the morning, and I will spend uh, 15 minutes to an hour uh, just praying, going through the lists that come the Lord brings to my mind, and then uh, also, uh, now that I'm retired, I can spend time as well in the Word, and uh, I've been able to do that. Of course, I can do it multiple times a day because I don't have kids running around and I just have a wife running around. And she and I are always bantering back and forth. Well, what do you think about this person? Mm. What does that mean? And, and so that's, that's an incredibly special thing. And I would encourage you who are married to do that, to engage with your wife, your spouse, your husband. Um, and those of you who are single, find that special friend that you can engage with. Mm.
0: Rick? Rick?
2: Uh, the mornings are best for me as well. I found between 6.30 and 7 at that time is a good time for me to to pray and to read. Uh, you shared last week uh, the Echo app, um, and I've, I've downloaded that, and I'm using that. That's a very helpful tool. If you haven't used that and you want to organize your prayer life, that's a really good thing to do. And I'm using that at this point as well. So, But it, it, it's easy to let it go, whether mm-hmm. I get involved with a discussion or I'm... Um, Planning my day or getting ready to go do something, it's easier for my mind to slip and not to do the things I need to do. So it's not perfect, uh, but it is something in the, in the morning that works out best for me.
3: Yeah. Uh, for me, it's probably just a little bit different uh, because I have three young kids running around. So I have a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and my wife and I just had our third uh, baby. Or Yeah, she's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Last touch you um that's awesome and yes yes He's we, elder, we know, you know we know how that happens uh, we do not fast on that level but um uh, but um no for me oh, i'm now responsible word. for the two boys the three-year-old and the two-year-old we let mommy sleep in uh in the mornings so i take them downstairs and um uh get them their breakfast and I usually make oatmeal because that's the only thing that they're not complaining that they're hungry in 15 minutes uh, is oatmeal. So I make their oatmeal and I sit them in the dining room and I implore them with all kinds of bribes and threats to stay in there. And I go into the, onto the porch and uh, we'll do my own devotional Bible reading, that type of thing. Uh, then I'll come in and I'll read them uh, the proverb that corresponds to the date. So there are 31 proverbs, so I'll read, you know, like today, Proverbs 12. Um, to them it just is and they're acting a fool the whole time I'm doing that they're not listening so don't have any images of my kids are just like oh daddy no they're not really attentive but it just is a practice for me to uh, start reading the Bible with them and for them to hear some words of wisdom uh, from Proverbs two. And, and sometimes my oldest son will even come back and repeat some of those words hmm. uh, later which is really neat to me so yeah
0: um Gabe, while you're speaking, what for you would be the discipline that you feel like helps you connect um, most with the Lord? I think it's different for different people. Um, which one do you feel you connect most readily through? Yeah, I think
3: I think there are probably a couple. For me, uh, I would definitely say reading. Reading the Bible is, is big for me. It, it does change and it does uh, I see new things as I read through it, and it does feel alive to me. And so to, to be connected to God in that way and to hear his word is very important. But for me, too, uh, which might come as a surprise, because I have zero musical inclination at all, mm. um, but to to hear music and to sing even worship songs as we're singing, to if you're reading the words as you're singing them, to me it mm. just feels so deep even, um, yeah, just hear here. Uh, but also at home. So every Sunday morning I turn on uh, some sort of praise music. So anytime I do that throughout the week, my youngest son will always say, are we going at church today or something? Because uh, he knows that I play music. So that that's something that helps me for sure. That's awesome.
2: I've been leading a Bible study for the past couple months on the book of James. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I study and read and prepare for that Bible study to lead it, I uh, meet at Friday morning, 6.30, 30. And if you guys want to come join us at Martin's, you're welcome to do that. Um, but anyway, when I read and study and prepare, um, that's a time that I really feel I get the aha moments, mm. uh, little epiphanies about this and that. And I, I'm with Gabe uh, last night. Ellen and I went, to, went on a lake to Andrew Peterson and, and Sarah Groves and over the Rhine. And you guys out there, go. Yesterday? No? Okay. Uh, We enjoyed it. Uh, Andrew Peterson in particular, I enjoyed him and the depth of his lyrics um, and the the heart, the transparency that he showed. Um, That really spoke to me and I uh, was in tears uh, as he was singing and and we were worshiping together. I was really, that's a time when the Spirit really does speak to me. It touches me in a place, music does, um, that other things don't.
0: Stan, I'm going to ask uh, one more question. And as we talk about these disciplines and how they cultivate this relationship, and in the context of this relationship that we find ourselves walking with the Spirit and His speaking and and His leading, can you think for you of an experience where you'd say, yeah, the Spirit spoke or the Spirit led, and what might have been um, happening in that? In that time.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, this past week, uh, I was uh, in a conversation with a friend and looking for an answer, and I was very troubled in spirit, and um, so I fasted for both minutes, and then I went to a room by myself, I actually uh, had a window, and I closed uh, the window, or closed the curtain, sat in the dark, and just cried out to God, Lord, I, I need an answer for this, Lord, Please, please, answer me. And within about 15 minutes, I had actually two answers for the situation. And so I just, I praise his name for that. That was mm-hmm. a recent experience that just happened. Amen. And uh,
0: yeah, so. Man, that's awesome. Rick. And team, by the way, you can come on out while um, Rick is processing this, or Gabe, either of you guys.
3: Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: Um, the Spirit of God works, as I said, through music. And there are times in my life mm. when I'm down or I need that lift. And when I turn on the radio mm. or turn on mm. uh, Comcast and listen to the Christian contemporary Christian music mm. a portion of that, that the Spirit speaks to me. And mm. there are the times as well, but it truly is, as I already said a few minutes ago, mm. that it is through music that it touches me on that deeper level.
0: Man. Thank you, brothers, by the way. Um folks, we are going to have an opportunity to to, to engage in, in worship for a few more moments. And um Elders will be down here. We would love the opportunity, even as we start to sing. If you're saying, you know what, I-, I want to, again, mark this moment. I want somebody to pray with me for something that's going on at home or or somebody to agree with me about a desire I have for the Lord to work in me um, or for healing or whatever it is, we would love to pray. We believe in the power of prayer and we believe in the power of agreement in the name of Jesus. And so we would invite you, if that's you and there's something on your heart or there's something you want to agree with, we'll be up here even while we sing you can make your way down and we look forward by the way to this being a place where nobody ever views somebody came up to pray like something must be severely wrong no they're just hungry they just want a little more of the lord they just want him to move that's all we look forward to this being a place where we are people who are figuring out what does it look like to lean in so even as we sing you can stand you can sit you can kneel some of you parents can sneak out and go grab your kids um, and pray as you do that because silence is about to be done for you for a few hours Um, but as you stay in here and you worship feel free to come forward feel free to kneel but more than that when we leave this place let's be intentional in carving out those moments to be with the Lord and for some of us To lay aside something and say, it's you I want. And we trust the Spirit will start to move in ways unprecedented as we make room and meet Him in the places He calls us um, to meet Him in. Amen. Hey, why don't we stand together? Feel free to do that. And we'll be down here. If you need to sneak out, feel free to do that. If you want to pray with one of us. Uh, Some of our small group leaders, particularly ladies, so we can be well represented up here. If you want to make your way up front as well, um, we'll be available to pray.